0: What I do differently than a lot of people, certainly my father before me didn't do, is I recognize that if you're going to keep this thing running at max RPMs, this thing being my my head and my body, you got to at least eat healthy. You got to take care of yourself. You got to sweat every day. You got to take the cold showers. And so I do all that. And I guess you could make an argument. The audience could make an argument listening to this and say, "Yeah, but Joe, you really should slow down." And I guess I would say, "Well, then." be honest
1: with you, that, that would not be a life that I want to live. I don't want to slow down. Hi, I'm Nick Nanton and welcome to Now to Next, the podcast where I interview some of the top experts and professionals all across the globe to talk about what's happening now and what you can expect next. Hey everybody, Nick Nanton here. I am extremely excited uh, to have Joe DeSena. I could, I could hold it all back, but you can already see him, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, It it doesn't matter what I do. Uh, I excited to have him on because we've been uh, been communicating uh, back and forth by text for a few months now, and uh, we've been just talking about a lot of cool different stuff. And I've been learning more and more about what he is all about. And of course, during this interesting time when many of you and all of us are asking questions about what's next, uh, I thought it'd be great to have Joe on the show. So uh, very quickly, uh, welcome to the show, Joe. How you doing, man?
0: Thanks for having me. I I can't get my wife or anybody to talk to me. I'm I'm super pumped that you want to talk to me.
1: (laughs) Well, good. We will do all of that. Uh, I'm going to give you guys a brief uh, bio uh, just so you have it, and then we'll, we'll sort of move into a cool conversation. So Joe DeSena is the CEO and founder of the wildly popular Spartan Race. He is also the New York Times bestselling author of Spartan Up, Spartan Fit, and the Spartan Way. Joe is a longtime endurance and adventure racer who started his own adventure racing empire. After selling, this is interesting, a multi-million dollar pool and construction business in college and had a 20-year stint on Wall Street that left him feeling burnt out. After selling his Wall Street trading firm, Joe moved his family to Pittsfield, Vermont, to run an organic farm bed and breakfast and general store for hikers. Joe, his wife, Courtney, and their four kids live on the farm today. It was in Vermont that Joe set his entrepreneurial sights on getting people off their couches by creating the Spartan lifestyle. His passion for adventure races and endurance events grew, and the idea for Spartan was born. Joe is also a popular keynote speaker, now I'm sure digitally as well, and the host of the Spartan Up podcast, which is an interview series in which he and his team travel the world chasing down the secrets to success in all aspects of life. Joe, what did I get wrong? What's changed since we did that bio?
0: No, that's it. The the only thing that's um, been picking up some steam, and I think it's just because of boredom on my side with this damn COVID mess, is uh, I've got a lot of kids coming to the farm up here in Vermont and trying to turn uh, young boys and young girls into young warriors. And so that's been consuming a lot of my time in between uh, podcasts like this.
1: I love that, man. And we're going to talk a bit about the farm because that's, I didn't know much about your farm and I was interested to hear about it. Tell me a bit about you. You grew up part of your life in Queens uh, in a neighborhood that you called the organized crime capital of the world. Tell me how that shaped the early parts of your life.
0: Yeah. So basically, uh, if you've seen the movie Goodfellas, I grew up in Ground Zero. Uh, for Goodfellow. I don't know if that's something to be proud of or brag about or what, but um, right across the street, uh, the main characters of that movie, that's where they lived. And, you know, we were next to Kennedy Airport. It really was like a candy store for for folks that were into uh, theft and um, hijacking, you know, those types of activities. Four of the five mob boss uh, families lived in this neighborhood. I don't know why. If you were, if you and I were running uh, a big organized crime syndicate, we would not suggest that they all live in the same place. Uh, all the feds had to do were, was tap one wire and they would've got everybody in one shot, <laughs> but they all lived there. And um, you know, it bordered the worst neighborhood in New York, uh, Brownsville or, or East New York. It, you know, it wasn't like there were buildings on fire or any of that because, because these guys were there, uh, the neighborhood was fairly uh, clean. It was, it was good, it was a good neighborhood. I got into cleaning swimming pools because my, my parents were getting divorced. And my neighbor was, was the boss at a banana family, and uh, he didn't have any boys. He had three daughters, and he said to me, hey, why don't you come over and clean my pool? Really, as just a young kid, I'm a hard worker. He sees it, wants to help me out. And I get over there my first Saturday, and he says, hey, I'm going to give you some business lessons. You know, and I'm, I'm not even a teenager yet. He says, first thing is, if you're coming over at 8 a.m., you better be here at 745. And he he even as a even pre-teens, I kinda knew the deal. You know, you kind of know living in that neighborhood as a kid, like that's what you aspire to be. You want to wear a nice suit, drive a nice car, have respect, and maybe even kill people because that's like you don't know any better, right? Like that's the epitome of toughness. And so, and then you gotta go to jail and make your bones. That's part of the deal. And so gotta be here at 745. You you know, on time is late. Uh, if you're going to clean the pool, you go above and beyond. You clean the windows, the long furniture, the shed, even though I'm not paying you for that. And the third is, you don't have your hand out asking for money. He says the money will come if you do a good job, and that just became my my internal and external mantra for the next uh, 40 years of of doing business uh, in all kinds of industries, and it's worked. And and the funny thing, you didn't ask this, but the funny thing about that is, is when I talk about those three business lessons, those life lessons that I got from the most unlikely source, most Americans push back. Like if I do a, a LinkedIn post about this or a podcast, most Americans push back on the third one. Like, what do you mean don't have your hand out for money? You should get paid for what you do. I got to send in an invoice. Like, and I think that's just an American short-term attitude that, that we need to unlearn. I love some of the, other, I, I had the fortune of living overseas with my family, um, for three years. And I don't know, there's really something to be said about having a really long term mind like life, even though life is short, it's longer than you think. And having, having a nice long-term mindset where just knowing that, uh, it all, what goes around comes around is, is much better than just being short term focused
1: could not agree more. One of the things that that reminds me of is, so I, I got to give credit. We were introduced by Joe Polish, great guy. And uh, Joe also introduced me to Dan Sullivan, who I've done a lot of coaching with. And, and Dan said it most succinctly. I, I believed this before, but he said it most succinctly. So I give him the credit he deserves. He said, you know, entrepreneurs uh, believe in providing value before they expect anything in return. And so that's, that's clearly, I mean, you are an entrepreneur from a cleaning pools. I mean, just from even being a kid, just starting there. But one thing the things I love about the entrepreneurial mindset is it is that it is, it is essentially serve first and you will be served. And I don't think there's a better place to start from in life. I think you have to be you have to be aware of people who might take advantage of you and all those things. But man, what a great place to start from, from like, hey, I, how about this? I'm going to give you something of value before I ever ask you for anything else. I, I love that mindset.
0: Yeah. And then and then. Don't even worry about pay. like if you don't have the money, like I, do, I literally took that approach, like pay me when you can and and uh, or or don't pay me at all. And I got paid because they recommended me. like who doesn't recommend a hardworking young kid that goes above and beyond, shows up before he's supposed to be there and doesn't ask for money. But I mean, by the time I graduated college, I had 700 customers, most of which were organized crime members. But. How do you build a business that like, I remember scratching my head during that period of time, let's call it ten, that 10 year period. I remember scratching my head and saying, I don't understand there's these, there's these construction and pool companies that have been around for 20 years before me. And I'm taking all their customers. How is that possible? Like, why are their customers coming to me? They're clearly older than me. They know more, they're, they're better financed. But it was because of those three principles.
1: I love those three principles. Another three principles, again, from Dan Sullivan, who I'll quote him again, says, you know, if you show up on time, do what you say you're going to do and say, please and thank you. There's so much business you can win. It's so sad how few people even think to do those basic, like human, decent things, right?
0: They're basic. I mean, I got, I got kids here on the farm. I told you that we're running them through really, really, really intensive weeks of like uh, warrior making. And some of the kids, I'm like one of the kids this morning, I'm not going to obviously point anybody out, but like had they missed, they're missing basic skills, basic human skills, like flushing the toilet. You know, I just like, uh, yeah, I'm like, please. And thank you. Come on. You shouldn't even have like.
1: That's a hard one for me because obviously, I mean, I was, I was, we didn't have a lot of money either. We weren't, you know, we weren't destitute, but we, but I was raised with like more love and guidance than I could spend. Uh, sometimes it felt like too much guidance. Right. Uh, but it's, you know, that I don't know how you make up for that. I'm so glad you are trying to in a way, you know, doing what you can at least in that case, tell us about the farming. Mean, we're going to get into Spartan race. We're going to get into why you started and all that, but the farm's sort of fascinating you. So you, you buy a farm, you, you leave wall street at a wall street gig and you decide you just want to get out of that, and you just go, I'm moving to Vermont. Is that how that happens?
0: So my parents get divorced. I got that pool cleaning business and mom got into yoga, meditation, health food in the 70s. She introduces me to a race in Queens, New York that still exists today called the Transcendence Run. The 3,100 mile race started by an Indian guru. Okay, It takes 60 days to complete. You run around a one mile loop in this, around the city block over and over, so here I got, I got these mob bosses, my dad, my grandfather, all these people, dress nice, nice cars, rolls of money. My mom, bohemian, crunchy, gets into yoga, meditation, vegan, introduced me to these crazy races, make no sense. And she moves to Ithaca, which is a little more open-minded of a town, right? A lot of hippies, a lot of educated folks, academics, Cornell, Ithaca College is there. So I'm going back and forth between the two. And it's my first foray into like what the country, could like, even though Ithaca is not like the country, it's a lot more country than Queens. So, um, it's, it's kind of cool, but I'm kicking and screaming because I want to be back in Queens. Anyway, fast forward. I sell my business. I sell the, uh, swimming pool business when I graduate college, which is another whole story, work my way to wall street. And while I'm on wall street immediately, I know this is not a place I want to be for long. And I put a picture of a red barn on my trading desk and that's the place I'm going to someday, a red barn. I don't know where I haven't even thought about it, but I probably remember in Ithaca seeing some red barns and it was kind of cool. So I do about, I don't know, 12 years on wall street, got very lucky, built a business there, sold it. And I met my wife. She was my girlfriend and I went out to Jackson Hole, Wyoming because somebody invited me to come out and do a crazy race. By then I was doing crazy races and I'm out in Jackson Hole. I'm like, this is pretty cool. It's a nice place. There's ranches, there's country, there's barns. And I'm looking through a real estate magazine on the way home from Jackson Hole and every piece of real estate, like 10 million, 20 million, 30 crazy numbers out there. Crazy. I don't even know what it is now. In that magazine is one Vermont, farmhouse, one little Vermont farmhouse, $400,000, a bunch of acreage, a covered bridge, horses, a mountain, and juxtaposed to 10, 20, $30 million ranches in Jackson Hole on the East Coast, not far from where I grew up, not far from where my wife grew up. It makes sense. I want to go see it. So we head out to Vermont. I have no connection to Vermont. I kind of argue to myself that it's equidistant. From, you know, to where my wife is from, from where I'm from. She's in Boston. I'm in Queens. Kind of makes sense. Not really, but I convinced myself. And I skied once. I skied once at Killington when I was young. I was in Ithaca. We went to Killington as a a school trip. And it was awesome. It just happened to be one in a million, one of those weekends where it was sunny and a lot of snow. And so I had good memories of Vermont as a young, right? So I was like, it's cheap. It's equidistant. I got good memories in Vermont. There's a red barn. It checks all the boxes. We're buying a farm in Vermont. My wife goes along with it. She's not my wife yet. And, um, I tell my mother-in-law, my soon to be mother-in-law, Hey, we're going to get married on the farm. I convince my wife, I convinced my mother, she's that's ridiculous. Who gets married on farms? The place is a mess. <sighs> so I say, listen, I did construction for many years. I'm going to rebuild all the buildings. I know I only got nine months. I'll make the barns and everything look good for the wedding your daughter and your family will be proud so we go to work i rebuild everything on the farm we have our wedding it goes off uh, knock on wood without a hitch and uh everybody at the wedding they're young right because you usually invite people that are your peers or whatever and they then there's a whole other crop of people that want to get married now everybody's asking us can we get married on the farm so we ended up turning the farm into a wedding business and uh, and so now we do weddings here and then from that as well because it's there's so much acreage here and we're surrounded by a quarter of a million acres of untouched pristine land I started putting on races remembering remembering that crazy race in Queens that my mom introduced me to and all the races I had personally competed in since then I said you know what this is going to be great we're going to invite all kinds of crazy people up here to Vermont we're going to put on races we're going to have weddings this is going to be unbelievable. And then reality struck over the last 20 years of being here. It's pretty hard to make money with a farm in Vermont.
1: (laughs) Shocking, shocking. Who would have thunk? But I'm glad you gave it a try. Look, uh, we're going to talk about your propensity for, I guess, putting in the hard work, having the grit. I remember actually one of the first introductions to you I had was I was reading uh, one of Jesse Itzler's book and he talked about uh, meeting up with you, and you had uh, you were carrying like two kettlebells or or like cinder blocks or something with you everywhere you went. And and a comment that you talk about, you know, in, in some other interviews about your, your dad was just a workaholic, serial entrepreneur, hard worker, and he pushed you really hard. And and you know, you don't. Uh, from what I read, it didn't seem like you were uh, judging him for it, but you sort of he had a mentality of it was never enough. And then you say, you know, and I've got that gene too. There's just an interesting whole deal behind that. Like we can, we do need to take care of ourselves. We can break ourselves, but there's so much growth beyond being broken. And actually it's much harder to break yourself than you think. I don't even know where to go with that, but you've been through so many personal trials and tests. How do you know when enough is enough? How do you know when too much is too much? And, and then how do you know how to be, stop being so soft? Like where does that all come together?
0: You know, I've been thinking about it a lot because I've had a lot of time with COVID and. Um... I'm definitely an always-on kind of guy. My father was an always-on kind of guy, and I'm actually writing an article right now that was inspired last night around this idea of um, who excites me, who inspires me, right? And it's the most unlikely people. It's the guy, the mom, or the dad that owns the pizza place, second generation. They get it at five in the morning. They keep the place spotless. They put out a great product. Stone masons that I've known throughout my life. That the steel worker those people that are just like animals. And I say that as a loving term, animals, that just get after it, and they just work all day. And then the people that I just have a really tough time around, somebody asked me yesterday, Joe, Yo, you seem like such an optimistic guy, who are the people, like what drives you, what bothers you, it doesn't seem like anything bothers you. One thing that bothers me is people that just don't get after it, they don't, they don't work hard. You just kind of see their hands in their pockets, right? And they're, and it just drives me nuts. I don't want to be around that. Those are energy drainers for me. So, so th- those are the two sides of the spectrum. I like to be around high performers, but not even high performers like they're making a lot of money, just high performers in that they just get after it. They're relentless. They're, by the way, they are the, the, the key characters in the movies that um, excite us, right? And so, um, or the books. But, you know, those people, including myself and my dad, tend to um, flame out. Like we work really, really hard. Right. And, you know, I don't know, every three, four five days I collapse on the couch for a 30 minute nap. Right. But I, what I do differently than a lot of people, certainly my father before me didn't do is I recognize that if you're going to keep this thing running at max RPMs, this thing being my, my head and my, my body, you've got to at least eat healthy. you got to take care of yourself. you got to sweat every day. got to take the cold showers. And so, I do all that. And I guess you could make an argument. The audience could make an argument, listening to this, and say, Yeah, but Joe, you really should slow down. And I guess I would say, well, then be honest with you, that that would not be a life that I want to live. I like, I don't want to slow down. I want to get I want to be just like those people that are in I want to get after it nonstop, 24-7, be up at 5 a.m., be the first one on phone calls, talking to Singapore, talking to but I'm gonna treat myself like an Olympian also not perfectly because they do, they probably get more sleep than me, but yeah, I don't know if I answered the question well, but that's, that's the way I think about this whole thing. And, and the other thing is I don't, I don't think about started, I don't think about work-life balance. I think about work-life integration. It's all integrated. It's one big mess. I'm doing a podcast. The kids are right next to me. I'm working out. They're working out with me. I got, I'm taking phone calls while they're running. Like I just mix it all together.
1: That's the only way I've found to do it too, by the way. But I uh, know you know, one of the concepts you bring up is, uh, you know, there's people, two types of people in life, batteries included and batteries not included. And I only want to hang out with people who are batteries included, right? I mean, the, life's too short for anything else. Tell me where your <laughs> love for insane races. I mean, you, you started a race called the death race. Like, tell me where the love for this came. Is it, is it the feeling you got at every finish line? Is it, what was it?
0: Before I tell you that, I want to tell John, who's, uh, who's over next to me, I said, you got to write that down. Batteries included and batteries not included. That's a great image.
1: Th- great. That's also Dan Sullivan.
0: Dan Sullivan's got – he's basically summed up much more succinctly than me all these things I'm talking about. So, um, Death Race was really a way for me to find who had batteries included and who didn't have batteries included. I wanted to surround myself with great people, so I said, I'm going to put on a race. That just breaks people down, and in some ways, it's a lot harder than that race my mom introduced me to. And you say, "Well, how could it be harder than running a one-mile loop, you know, thirty-one hundred times?" And I, well, with the race I want to create, you know, back in the early two thousands, I want to move the finish line. I want to cheat. I want to lie to people. I'm gonna. I'm not even gonna tell them when it starts. I'm gonna make them chop wood when they don't have an axe. I'm gonna like. I'm gonna give them all the things that life throws at you. And you have to deal with it. an entrepreneur knows an entrepreneur gets it right. And I put on this race. I don't know who would show up, but it's very much like Shackleton, that great Irish explorer puts out an advertisement. I don't know if you know it right. It says, here's the deal. We're going out on an exploration. are going to be you know, limited sunlight. are going to be low rations, probably not going to return. Who's in 5,000 people showed up to apply, right? Like, so that's what this race is. And a bunch of people started showing up, and the New York Times picked it up. And it's this crazy event. And if you finish it, you you get a skull. About ten or fifteen percent of the people that start finish, and then the reality TV show folks started. So, I mean, it was it was it just went on this took on a life of its own right here on the farm. And really, the point was to shake you up as a human being to maybe. Maybe help you get some batteries. Find some batteries, right? If you don't have them, to show you what you're made of, to introduce you to yourself, uh, right? Shine a mirror in your face. And um, I lie to them. I move the finish line. I change the start time. I, I I do everything I can to get them to quit. And those that end up quitting, send me an email sometime the following year. Could be a week later. Could be 52 weeks later, and say, I can't believe you got me. Got me. I'll be back. And then the ten or fifteen percent that finish, like they found the new gear. They find the new gear in their life and and some of them go on to like row literally row a rowboat across the Atlantic or climb Mount Everest or start a friggin business or lose a bunch of weight or whatever. So that's what it is.
1: It sounds like it's showing you showing you sides of yourself you certainly probably haven't seen maybe ever or for many of us a long time, we, we build these stories of ourselves that become cages sometimes as I was reading that about you and you do things like change the finish line and you have a a love of surprises, which uh, seems to me in a sort of a, in a functional way. I love the idea because one of the most frustrating, things, like when I'm with a trainer and I'm doing a, i am doing I know burpees are your favorite. We can talk about those too, but like, I'm doing a plank. Like I find it so much harder to do the plank if they're not, they don't tell me how long it's going to be. Like if, but if they say do a 30 second plank, especially if I got my stopwatch, cause really fundamentally, most of us don't like, I mean, we like really good surprises when someone gives you a lottery winning lottery ticket or washes your car without telling you or buys lunch or dinner or brings you ice cream. But like those hard surprises, I'm not going to say bad. I'm saying hard surprises are what most of our lives consist of yet. There's really not a great way to train for them. I guess we're doing it all the time, but that's a, that's a huge mindset shift for me. Just thinking about embracing the suck, uh, sort of, and, and those hard surprises. I mean, what do you have, How do you advise people to to take that on and maybe change your mindset around that?
0: Oh, it's funny, right? Because entrepreneurship. There was a book on entrepreneurship, and it said just do these ten things, and you'll start making money. It'd be that it'd be that simple. Just got to do these ten things. But that's not the way it works you might do those 10 things and nobody's buying the product the products, not good enough, do another 10 things, 25 more things. I mean, Thomas Edison, the story is like 900 plus light bulbs before one worked, right? Look, look at the swings. Elon Musk has had, and he's wildly successful. And so, um, so life, my point is life, business, children, marriage, very messy. It's full of a box of surprises to use your word. There's no, um, guarantees. And so, it drove me nuts that I would go do an Ironman or a marathon, you know, and it would be a bad day, rainy, cold, whatever. Somebody's chain would break. Somebody would have a foot ache, you know, that's leading the pack in a marathon and they quit. And I'd say quit. Like the name here is Ironman. You're quitting because your chain broke. Like I would expect you would carry your bike the remaining 60 miles, right? Like, And so I I just thought structured sports and the fact that everybody gets a trophy and the fact that as a society, we're afraid to like piss people off and say the wrong things politically. I just thought we just got too ridiculously soft, too bubble wrap. And why couldn't we create events? Why couldn't we create a system that trained us for life? Right. In life, you don't get I don't get to quit COVID. I got to deal with it. I had to shut down 300 races, furlough 400 plus people, and I got to deal with it every day until whenever the government figures out to open up businesses again, right? I can't quit because my chain broke. So, so that's really what it is. We practice math. We practice piano. We practice all kinds of things. But not a lot of people practice adversity. That's why I carry the kettlebell. That's why I take the cold showers. That's why I do the burpees. We got we to gotta manufacture some adversity in our lives, I call purposeful suffering. And um, by the way, the great Greek philosophers and and Roman philosophers talked about this way back when. They had everything they needed. They were extremely wealthy for the time. And they would go sleep like bums out in the street. So they could just remember and practice some of that. The great samurai would close their eyes at night and in their mind burn all their possessions and their family. And the next day, they appreciated everything they had because they were still there. Right. And so we could all use, we could all use some purposeful suffering.
1: Got that. So the hardest thing I think I've probably done so far that reminds me of that, the the quitting, I got invited by my friend, Phil to, he has an organization called American Dream U and they go around and they, they take entrepreneurs like me and we talk to service members that are about to get out because they Phil, often don't know what's next.
0: Phil is my cousin.
1: Oh, there you go. Okay. I, I did not even know that. That's now that's mind blowing. All right. So I went with him to, um, Uh, Fort Benning and did the ranger course with those guys. And there's about 30 of us there. I think two of us finished, three of us finished. And I didn't understand how someone could quit no matter how hard it was when everyone on either side, he was in fatigues and was about to go to war. Like I literally, I just didn't have it in me. I mean, it sucked. Every bit of it completely sucked. And my pull-ups I'll admit were not amazing, but I got them done. And it's just like, that was, man, like just, but seeing how, how easily people give up. You know, I that's one of the weirdest things to teach. So I've got three kids. I was, you have, you have four kids. Is that right? Four kids. Yeah, yeah, four. So you're you're less of a quitter than me. I've got three kids, and um, I try to teach them because it's such a it's an interesting balance. But try to teach them that giving, like giving up and persistence. I think persistence of all the people I know who are successful, persistence is and curiosity. We can give both of those. Persistence and curiosity are the two traits I think that make a bigger difference than anything. But it's so hard to teach a kid about persistence, particularly when they're persistent to you. Uh, and number two, like it doesn't really fit in most classrooms. Uh, do, there's a lot of places in life at the when it's being controlled like you would be in a classroom uh, or in that stage of life. There's so many places persistence doesn't fit. I don't know. I'm interested in your perspective on that.
0: Hang on. you're gonna, Before we get into persistence, I'm putting my glasses on because I want to read you something that you are going to love. Okay. Hang on a second. Just give me a minute. I, I told you I've been putting on these camps and, um, I didn't know that when the kids came up here to the camp this summer, that day at night, and this is hard. You talk about building persistence in children. This camp was like no other camp. No one would put on a camp like this. No one I'll send you the article on, on this, but every night kids got here on the farm, 14 days straight, 14, 16 hour days. Right. Every night they'd get their phones and they were texting their parents. I didn't know it. They couldn't get their parents, they were texting their parents' friends. Get me out of here. This guy's nuts. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna read you. You're not even gonna believe this. I'm gonna read you because after the whole thing was over, after me fighting with all the parents who wanted to come extract their kids from this tour of duty I was putting them through, right? I, I calmed everybody down, it took me three days. My wife was screaming at me. I got through this thing. I then was able to access the texts. Ready for this one? Parent, how's it going? Kid, awful. This might be the worst experience of my life. It's literally like we're in the military. Parent, there must be something fun about it. Kid, nothing. Parent, you need to embrace it. Mom, dad, there is nothing to embrace. Most people here were tricked and were told this was a wrestling camp, and now we're stuck here and miserable in a farm prison camp. Mom, dad, so it's harder than a seven-minute Peloton ride. They're not taking the bait, the parents. Mom, dad, you try carrying 35-pound rocks up and down the mountain all day. We will tell Joe how you feel tonight, right? What? Don't do that. That'll make things worse. You clearly never met this guy. He's miserable and hardcore. He makes kids cry every day nonstop. They'll punish us whenever they feel like it. (laughs) So to your point your point. keep going. It's unbelievable, but it's unbelievable. Well, here's the last line. He said, all I'm asking is for you guys to drive up here and fix the mistake you both made and help me escape. Okay. (laughs) So, So when you say to me, like you have three kids, I have four kids, how, how do we instill some of that resilience, some of that persistence? It's very hard because you know, with each passing generation, we're putting these guardrails up, insurances and Everybody's like so delicate. We've got terms for different types of parenting snow blowing parenting, bubble wrap parenting. I came up with a new one. This is my brand new one. I just came up in the last few days from these camps. It's called golden retriever parenting. That's when you drop the kids off to do something hard, and then you get a text or a call and you come back and pick them up to protect them from it. Worst thing you could do. So we can get these kids hard because they are naturally resilient creatures they are feral when they're like, they're ready for anything. But then we wrap them in bubble wrap and we protect them and we remove obstacles that are in the way. And we basically soften up an entire generation it gets softer and softer and softer. And so, and we used to have rites of passage as cultures. We don't even have that here anymore. Like, I love what Israel does. Like, we should put everybody in one year of military. And I know people scream, oh, Joe, that... You're a pro-military, you'll have a military state. It's not even that. I mean, kids need to grow up. They need to get tough because parents aren't going to be around forever and they should be able to fend for themselves. I mean, do you want your child to be a zoo animal or do you want your child to be a wild animal? I prefer wild animals than zoo animals. I mean, there's not very many zoo animals that do well. They don't do well. And that's what we're doing with our kids. I I didn't answer the question you asked, but I went off on a rant.
1: It's great. It's perfect. It, It was the answer I needed. I just didn't know the question to ask. Uh, the, you started the Spartan race in 2010. Tell us why you started it and why you named it that. Give us a bit about the Spartan mentality.
0: That's it. I mean, that's it in a nutshell. I had the death race, you know, although we were getting a lot of people to come do it, it wasn't, it wasn't enough to make money. And so Spartan, I mean, who doesn't want to be a Spartan? Come on. Everybody wants to be a Spartan deep down inside somewhere in their subcontinent. Everybody would want to be a Spartan. Everybody wants to be a Navy SEAL. So Here we are, we got this great name, we got a military-inspired obstacle course, we're going to standardize it, we're gonna attempt to make it an Olympic sport. Why shouldn't people compete next to each other under barbed wire, climbing walls? Exactly what you did with Phil, right, on that course. And so that's what we did. 1,000 people showed up, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000. We were in one country, two countries, we expanded to 45 countries, we board our competitor, Without COVID, we're at a couple of million participants a year across 45 countries, 325 events. It worked. People think it was an overnight success. They refer to it as the Spartan Empire. And what they don't know is behind the scenes, it took me 15 years to get it to work. I lost money. I didn't get paid. And then finally, just like an entrepreneur should do, finally by leaning in and knocking it up, it worked.
1: One of the things I read that I thought was fascinating about it, the difference I hadn't really looked at, You know, people want to do an Ironman. People want to do a marathon. That takes a lot of training. It seems like your races take more mental toughness and and a shorter spurt and not, you don't have to train for years or months or weeks to do it. Is that correct?
0: Well, you know, I, I did a lot of Ironmans. I did a lot of marathons and, um, I could get anybody, anybody anywhere ready for a marathon in 30 days. I can get anybody anywhere ready for an Ironman in 90 days. But I think, I think you could also walk onto the course and just. Knock out him. I mean, if you and I, God forbid, we were in a car accident and we had to go twenty six point two miles to safety, are you saying we wouldn't do it? Of course, we'd do it. So, so yes, if you want to perform well, if you want to make sure you don't get injured, yes, you got to do some training. Um, but you really got to do some training for Spartan too, because you you know what it's like because of what you did with Phil. I mean, it's not easy to get up and over a wall. It's not easy to climb a rope. Not easy to crawl into barbed wire in rocks, get cold water and and so we're hitting you with a lot of stuff. But yes, it's much more mental it's much more fun. It's much more rewarding. You feel like a badass. It's not boring. I mean, pedaling for a hundred plus miles, swimming for two plus miles, like, it gets boring. gets boring. It's good. I did a lot of them, but um, there's nothing boring about this. This is like a video game, only you're in it. You're the hero.
1: Got it. Everyone should give it a try. Let's talk a little bit about your, your book's uh, Spartan up, one of the concepts I love from that particular book is that everyone matters. You tell a cool story about how you sort of learned that lesson. Share that with us if you would.
0: Yeah. I mean, listen, no matter where you are on the totem pole, right? You got to pay attention to those people that, that person in the locker room, that person that takes care of the bathrooms, whatever you got to remember their name, you got to shake their hand, you got to thank them, especially uniform services, nurses, what we're going through right now. And I've just had the fortune of, of seeing the impact of doing that. And I tell my kids all the time, notice those people around you, and, and thank them, and tell them they look nice. And sometimes we get so full of ourselves um, that we only want to communicate with the people we think are on our level or better than us, right? But um, I think one thing that this kind of event does, that you know, wrestling does, is it humbles you and it makes you realize I'm just human. I'm just like I'm just like the janitor here. It's I'm, I'm, there's no difference between us, and so I gotta treat them like a human. And, and, uh, I think
1: that's the story that jumped out at you. Yeah. And the key is, I mean, in most cases, the janitor could probably whoop me in wrestling because he's doing, I'm sitting behind a key. I'm a keyboard warrior, right? And he's doing work. And so a, a big piece of your sort of, as I look at all the aspects around you, it's putting in the work, doing the work, but you saw a world for yourself first, but then now bring it to the world of we, we get so few opportunities that we're encouraged to do the hard stuff that if you would just take the time to discover who you become, when you have to do the hard stuff, you'd be a totally different person.
0: Completely different person. There's so many layers of superficial BS uh, wrapped around most of us. And, and um, what we do the program we have over the last 20 years, we, we peel away the onion, all those superficial layers and get down to the core of the person. We take you to a place where you just want water, food, and shelter. And that's a really refreshing place to go to believe it or not now now if this was 200 years ago i would say to you hey nick we need uh, more couches we need more air conditioning we need more tv's right people are these are hard this is a hard life we're, yeah we're stepping in mud all day so and so has a horse this one doesn't have a horse like these are tough times grandma died on the way we we're going the time we we're going out west but now it, we're so comfortable we need this
1: totally agreed so people who are struggling right now. Obviously so COVID has changed everything. You know, we're hopefully getting on the backside of, you know, lower infection rates and things like that. Obviously you've had to shift your entire model. I mean, did you I assume you just paused the races for a while? I mean, what have you done and 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 what can we learn from sort of what you've had to learn going through this?
0: We immediately had an event down in um Florida once they opened it up. Uh we pulled it off perfectly. We proved that you could do an event like this and keep people socially distanced. And people were coming up to me crying, competing, like crying like never seen. And then you saw what happened with the country. The whole country went nuts. And uh, you can't do this, can't open restaurants, can't. So the whole country shut down. I'm able to get a few events. So I got one coming up in China. I had one in Taiwan. I got one in Poland. Uh, Selective places around the world, I've been able to have a few events. But um, yeah, I'm on pause. Primarily, I'm producing an enormous amount of content. We're producing an enormous amount of content and just waiting for the storm to pass. My personal feeling, which my social media guy about 10 feet away, he keeps socially distanced from me. He's afraid of me. He said to me, um, he he won't let me really speak my mind when it comes to COVID. My feeling on it, you're gonna hate me, most, most people hate me when I say this, is the only way to resolve this is to let it loose. You should protect the vulnerable, certainly the elderly, but you got to let this thing loose and we got to get out of the house and it's got to happen because it's inevitable. It's inevitable. Like even with a vaccine, the flu that we're all used to kills 80,000 people a year. So, and not a lot of people take vaccines, right? Uh, Only 12% of America is metabolically healthy, only 12%. So I I don't know how they're going to do with a vaccine, without a vaccine. I'm just comparing it like when is the vaccine, when, when are we really going to feel comfortable with the vaccine? We weren't comfortable with vaccines that are tried and true. So a rushed vaccine, uh, everybody's going to raise their hand and say, give it a me. Let the thing loose. Let's get back outside. Let's get back to business.
1: Got that. I'd like to do that. Uh, I, and I hope it would work because I'm sick of, I've been traveling now more in the last four weeks. I've been back on the road. I had a bunch of uh, documentary shoots I had to get back to. I actually was in on a shoot, a human trafficking shoot in Iraq, the day the three first cases broke out, and so I was glad to get out of there. But I had a bunch of makeup shoots I had to do. Um, one of the things you said is interesting. Metabolically healthy, there's if there's anything, maybe we could learn easily from this pandemic is that if you do not have your health, you're going to be listed over here. You're going to be the person they say, well, you know, he passed away from this, but he or she here's the reasons why. And it all comes down to, you know, most of these things that are preventable, a smoker or, you know, obesity and some other things like that. Um, Talk about metabolic health. You also talk about in your new book, Spartan or your newest book, Spartan Way, about simple eating, you know, talk about the relationship we have with food. And maybe one needs to change with that for us to be healthy. So we could, so our body could even make use of a vaccine.
0: Uh, You want to make America great again, whatever the tagline, you, you know, you, you, whoever, you know, you citizen out there want to come up with, you gotta make it fit again. We are so fat, and and the reason is, I, I worked on Wall Street for a long time, the reason is capitalism has snuck into our food system. And I get it, I get it, I'm a, I'm a big believer in, in, in making money, but I'm not at the expense of the country's health and well-being. We don't have a chance against big food. We don't have a chance. The amount of money they could spend on advertising is seeping into our brain, the amount of money they could put behind making food really, really tasty and really, really addictive, it is literally smoking cigarettes. This stuff is garbage. Now, I know a bunch of people jump up and down and say, Joe, but freedom, freedom, freedom. Freedom, well, let's give everybody heroin. Let's let 14-year-old drive cars. I don't get it. Like, once, once it affects somebody's health and wellness or the person around themselves, or in this case, the country, it's affecting the country because we're so sick that we can't handle this pandemic, right? We got to shut the whole country down. We have to step in. They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it because the lobbyists are so big and big food is so powerful that. And I'm not even a conspiracy guy. I'm, it's just a reality. And then there's another problem. We're pretty lazy as well. Why do I say that? I got a farm here. I got 700 acres. Okay. I tried to create my own little my own little bubble at rotational farming. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the food, bring it off the farm, put it in the general store. The problem is. Nobody wants to wake up at five in the morning. I had the only cows in the United States that wake up for brunch instead of breakfast because nobody wants to wake up and take care of the animals. So you can see why farming doesn't work and why you have to do factory farming, right? So one, one guy with one tractor could handle a giant farm because he can't get anybody to do the work. So I get it. I get how we got here. But if you really want to really fix America, you want to fix... Listen, buying a gym membership doesn't work. Listening to a podcast, reading a book doesn't work. Like you've got to, you've got to tax the hell out of the crappy food, subsidize the healthy food. You got to give people insurance that take care of themselves, free insurance, Carrots and sticks, right? And then this is going to sound selfish. Like I'm promoting myself. I'm not, if people don't have a date on the calendar, if they don't have something they're working towards, they're not going to sweat. They're not going to do the work. So you sign up for a marathon, you train. That's it. Because you, your friends are going to be watching you. You don't want to be embarrassed. You do the work. You, if you don't have stuff on the calendar, you think a boxer stays in shape? Most boxers fall out of shape because they don't have a fight on the calendar. As soon as they get a fight on the calendar, they get to the gym.
1: Got to have a fight on the calendar. I absolutely love that. Um, we're, we're getting close to some of the end of our time, but I, also you talk about maximizing your time and the principles of doing that in the book. Tell me a little bit about how you, how you manage time management in your own life. You obviously have a lot of different Interests. I don't know how busy your day is based on who you have helping you, what you're doing. But how do you? Uh, what's your system for time management?
0: My, my days are pretty light. They start around five in the morning and they go to about eight thirty, and I collapse and go to bed. Pretty light days. But and they go seven days a week. And I've never taken a vacation. But but other than that, moves down, I, I don't know what Olympics it was, John. Maybe you could look it up. I don't know. Two thousand eight UK rowing team, eight man rowing team wants to earn a gold medal like all teams do. And they're going into this thing and they got 18 months to train and they decide that they're going to come up with a mantra where every single decision they make all day long so they don't waste time is, will it make the boat go faster? Hey guys, why don't we get up late tomorrow? We had a we crushed today. We'll get some sleep. We'll sleep in late. Ask a question, will it make the boat go faster? No. Getting up early, we're training. Hey guys, great day today. Let's go hang out with the girls. Will it make the boat go faster? No, we're not going out with the girls. Hey guys, let's go grab some ice cream. We had a tough one. Will it make the boat go faster? No. So that's the way I operate. That's how I, I handle time management is the thing I'm doing right now is it making the boat go faster. Is it getting me closer to my goal? If it's not, no interest, move on. And I think most of us just waste time. We just waste time. And time is really the only asset we have. It's the most precious thing we have. Can't get like, you can't put another quarter in and get more.
1: When you're talking about too requires, you know, a level of discipline, most likely many listening don't have, but discipline is a muscle that can be built up. So what do you, wh- where do people begin if they hear that and go, man, I just I have a hard time turning away from the fridge, you know, from the ice cream or whatever. I mean, you, you have a very on and off sense of, I love it. I hate it. Uh, most people don't start there. And you probably didn't either. But where do you begin to start exercising that muscle so you can have the strength? Is it having a goal that's worth exercising it for? I mean, what is it?
0: need a goal. need a date on the calendar. Definitely need, need discipline, which is as simple as just writing it down. But, but really better than write it, write it down, post it everywhere, stick it on the ceiling so when you go to bed, you see it, put it on the mirror so you brush your teeth, you see it. But also create a narrative around yourself that, that recites that discipline, that there's a reason why when I'm talking to you, I'm saying some of the things I'm saying, I'm reinforcing in my brain and I'm doing it publicly that this is who I am and this is what I do. And now I'd, I'd be a fraud if I don't do it. Right. So we have to all do that. We gotta, we gotta make ourselves accountable, stick our neck out and say, this is who we are on this. If if you're afraid to say it and tell people, you're not going to do it. So So that's one way, and it's a big way. And then the other thing is, I've talked to a lot of Olympians, a lot of uh, special operators, and what they say is they get up in the morning, as disciplined as they are, they got the post-its everywhere, and they've told people, they've done all those things, Joe. But what we do is we get up in the morning, I know I gotta get on my bicycle for six hours that day, but I'm just not feeling it. Michael Phelps, I'm just not feeling it, I don't wanna get in the pool today. So what they say to themselves, and I've heard this 50 times, I'm just going to do 20 minutes today. I know I got to do six hours. I'm just doing 20 minutes. They get in the pool, they do 20 minutes and I go, ah, I could do another 20. And before you know it, it's six hours have gone by. And so I, I do that trick too. Like I'm not feeling it today. All right, well, I won't be a fraud if I do 10 minutes, let me do 10 minutes. I could just say I had a tough day and then, and you're there and you just you want to get it done.
1: In most cases, it's all about starting. And so even if you have to fool yourself into starting, uh, that's a trick that's worth taking. Uh, you also write in the book, uh, time wasters in addition to TV and the internet. And I'm fascinated by this. A huge time waster for us is worrying too much. Talk about worry.
0: It's a waste of time. Like it, it, it is or it isn't, right? It's going to happen or it's not going to happen. Why would you even waste a second thinking about what could be told? Bullshit? Like, how would you know? Just get after it. Just keep moving forward. I, I never like um, the chit chat, the worry, the like, what a waste of time. I. That wasn't even something I learned. There was no mob boss that taught me any of that. I just, I just was so busy trying to build my business, trying to work and move forward and focus on making the boat go faster that anytime somebody was talking to me about worrying, you know, they were worried about, like, what are you talking about? Who has time to let it? It's such a waste of time. What are you worried about?
1: Totally agree. One of the things that's really become abundantly clear to me through, uh, through most of my life, but I think it's clarifying during this quarantine time and just, you know, one of the things that made me feel uh, a little bit less alone is that some of the biggest businesses in the world with the smartest people, teams of thousands of people, they're struggling too to figure this out. Like it's unfigure outable in many cases. It's just, it just is. And so one of the things that really made me realize is just like how much luck has to do with all of us. Like, even if I control everything I can in my day. I can't control the guy driving on the other side of the street. If he happens to be on his phone and swerve into me, I can't control if there's cancer cells growing in my body. I can't control if that guy who said he was going to do business with me loses all his money and can't do it. Like there's so little that I can actually control that. Why don't I just not worry about it? Because I can choose, I can take two postures with that I can worry about everything, literally paralyzingly worried, or just know it's all going to work out the way it's supposed to because there's no other way it can work out.
0: I obviously agree. I mean, that, that focus on the things you can't control, which is the work. Put your head down and get the work done right now. Can't, can't focus on the things that you have no control over.
1: Another mutual friend of mine and Joe Posh, Dean Jackson, I don't know if you know Dean, but Dean says, uh, he said in my interview with him, he said, be the umpire. He said, so many of us spend time worrying about if the ball's in or out and getting emotional about it. Just learn to be the umpire, call it how it is and react accordingly. And I think that's just a really succinct, well put way of going, okay, it happened. What do we do next? Um, We're wrapping up here, but I would be remiss. It might go down in history as the only interview you never talked about burpees. So we can't let that happen because I don't want to be special. So a lot of people think they need to join a gym. They think they got to go run 180 miles. You say that the burpee is the, uh, how do you say it, is is the most time efficient exercise in the world. Why I love to hate burpees. It doesn't matter how fit you are, they destroy you. What is it about burpees and, and what do you have to share about them?
0: You know, when I was cleaning swimming pools, a uh, swimming pool is like 20,000 gallons of water. Human body is like 13 gallons of water. They both have pumps and filters. They're very similar to each other. If a swimming pool, it became very clear to me at a young age, if a swimming pool's pump slows down or stops, the pool turns green. If the filters get clogged up, the pool turns green. If I don't vacuum all those nooks and crannies, algae starts to grow. And the burpee to me is like shaking the pool out of the ground and getting all the dust and dirt. And just cleaning the whole friggin' pool, right? You could run. You can go on a slow jog and it's not really moving everything around. You could do some you know, pull-offs, you could do this. When you do a burpee, you are moving blood, and moving blood is life. And so if you've got limited time, you're gonna be broken cardiovascularly, you're gonna be broken strength-wise. That's why burpees suck, like everybody hates them. So in a very short period of time, in a very small amount of space, you can clean your pool, and you'll be sweating. And so that's it, I mean, listen, Royal H Burpee, the guy that invented the burpee years ago, he invented it for military recruits. He needed something fast. You know, it had to be time efficient, it had to be effective.
1: How many burpees is healthy?
0: I mean, three hundred a day is a little extreme. If you did thirty a day, it would change your life.
1: Thirty burpees a day, and I—that's when we were fishing in Alaska, didn't have time. Joe Paul said, "Hey, Joe Desanta says do burpees. We're doing thirty burpees." I'm like, "All right." I mean, and I, I run a lot. I work out a lot. I mean, by 15 in, I am sucking wind. It just doesn't matter. It just, it just gets you. It's, I, I need to build up my burpee tolerance. Uh, burpees are good for you. I'm going to keep telling myself that I'm going to try to get 30 in a day. I'm going to get 30 in a day. How's that? Uh, yeah. man, Joe, uh, I appreciate you being on, man. Where can people go to learn more about you? Where should we send them?
0: Uh, at real Joe, to on uh, Instagram, spartan.com, or send me an email, Joe Spartan.com. If you send me an email, two sentences or less.
1: Done and done. Uh, pleasure having you on, and I uh, look forward to getting together with you soon when all this breaks up. And uh, thanks for being on the show, man. Thank you, sir. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episode.